CPAC 2020, the event of the year for conservatives. The Gail Trotter Show, right in D.C., was there interviewing all the right kind of people. And now, your host, Gail Trotter. Hi, I'm Gail Trotter, host of Right in DC, bringing you interviews from CPAC 2020. One of the best things about CPAC is that you get to meet people in real life that you know online. So I'm so happy to have Michael Knowles joining me. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. That's one of my favorite aspects, too, is I have all these Twitter friends, and then I get to meet them in person. Well, Michael, I'm sure you already know this, but he is the host of The Michael Knowles Show on The Daily Wire. He's also the host of The Verdict Podcast with Senator Ted Cruz, and he hosts a book club for PragerU. So you are a busy man. I am very busy and I'm having a lot of fun doing it because they're very different shows. You know, I do one show on Daily Wire. It's kind of news of the day, what's going on. Then Verdict is whatever is happening in the Senate. Senator Cruz wants to talk about. And then I got to tell you, I, I was a little skeptical that people would tune in to hear a show about books. I thought that's a little bit of a dry subject. But I think because our universities have so collapsed, you know, the education system has gotten so politicized. Uh, people are eager to just hear about some classic works. And so we've had a ton of fun doing it. Uh, we're so thrilled with everyone who's tuned in and made them a, a big hit. Michael, you must be a mind reader because my first question to you was, what is happening on college campuses and should we be worried about it? We should be very worried about it. I mean, this this didn't just happen overnight. This didn't happen a couple years ago. We're now seeing the fruits of a decades-long campaign by the left to get into our universities and to remove the core curriculum, the the pillars of what would have constituted an education, and replace it with wacky things like gender theory, postmodernism, and and really deconstruct, that's actually one of the terms, deconstructionism, to deconstruct our whole cultural tradition. So it's wild that you could now go on a college campus. ISI actually did a study about this 10 years ago. Uh, seniors graduating from the most elite colleges in the country, Harvard, Princeton, <laughs> yeah, right, all the elite places, they knew less about their government, their history, and civics than incoming freshmen. They actually... The they lost knowledge while they were there. Yes, they lost knowledge along the way. I mean, if you go and talk about basic events, you know, biblical literacy, right? Who, who was Noah? Who was Moses? Or who was George Washington, for that matter? Increasingly, the students won't know. And at my, my own uh, alma mater, you can now get a degree in English from Yale with honors without ever reading Shakespeare. That's a sad state. That is crazy. Well, one of my other questions was to ask you why Hamlet is the greatest play ever. So I will interrupt for a minute to ask you that. Why is Hamlet the greatest play ever? How much time do we have? (laughs) Not enough. Not nearly enough. Hamlet is the greatest play ever. And I mean this objectively. I'm not even just saying it's my preference. It, It is simply the fact that 500 years later, Hamlet continues to be performed constantly. It's considered critically the greatest play there's a reason for that. There's a reason audiences keep going. And the reason is when you read Hamlet, and especially when you see it, it's like looking into a mirror. So much of this modern world that we are living in is expressed for the first time and most beautifully in Hamlet. You know, it, it began at this moment. Hamlet is really a play about the Protestant Revolution. It's a play about uh, what happens when Europe loses this sort of authoritative stranglehold on the truth, when now people start to come up with their own versions of the truth, what that does to an individual's own psyche and what that does to the, in this case, the uh, nation of Denmark. And uh, looking all around, it's uh, William Shakespeare must have been a prophet. 
Why do you think that academia is so relentlessly leftist so they don't want to teach English students Hamlet, for example? Well, the argument that they make, that all the education activists make, is that Shakespeare is just some dead white male. Which is funny, because at the same time, they always say Shakespeare isn't really Shakespeare. Shakespeare <laughs> was like, you know, a sort of Muslim colonial woman. Right? They always want to make it very political and intersectional. But they they do have an antipathy. I mean, for the dead white European males was the phrase. And they, it's, I don't even know that it's racist or sexist. I think it's just the fact that when you look at all of the works of our civilization, those gave us this culture that we have. And what the left wants to do, what progressives want to do, is progress beyond that. And the only way that they can do that, the only way they can progress into their utopian future, is by destroying their past. And what better way to destroy the past than to destroy all of the ideas, all of the images, all of the culture that, that gave us the society we have today. Well, you're talking about progressives, and yet they keep wanting to go back to the past. How is Marxism a thing in 2020? <laughs> of course, it's so bizarre, right, that you've got the most exciting progressive candidate is this 150-year-old Marxist digging up a dead, failed ideology from 150 years. Yes, exactly. But the, the reason that Marxism has such an appeal to people is because it offers an alternative to religion. You know, Marxism was called the God that failed. That's what Ronald Reagan referred to it as. It, it answers all the questions in life uh, in a different way than religion does. And so the left, you know, Andrew, St. Saint, Saint Andrew Breitbart, the patron of Hollywood conservatives, used to say, politics is downstream of culture, and culture is downstream of religion, right? At, at, at bottom, as Cardinal Manning said, all human conflict is ultimately theological. So your politics, your culture, all of that has a kind of religious base to it. And and the left has rejected all of that, so they need an alternative. The alternative to that is Marxism, or as we're seeing today, neo-Marxism, which is a, a system that applies the Marxist economics to cultural questions. So that's why the left, they get so riled up about, say, environmentalism, right? Environmentalism. It's a religion. It's a religion. I mean, it, it really is a religion in that it has sin and pollution. It has redemption and recycling. You can buy indulgences in the form of carbon tax credits. That's amazing. And sacrifice. <laughs> and NBC News, just a few months ago put out a climate confessional. Where really? Confessional? You could go, you could anonymously <laughs> confess your sins against uh, Mother Earth. And so you, they, the left needs all of these, uh, these alternative religious systems. And it, it is why if conservatives want to win, we can't just talk about tax rates. Nobody cares. Nobody wakes up in a cold sweat thinking about slight changes to the marginal tax rate. You've got to talk first about culture and really ultimately about these, these eternal and spiritual questions. Well, I think on the part about the the thought leadership of the conservative movement, I'd like your reaction on a quote by the great conservative philosopher Roger Scruton, who said, you know, there are many conservatives, but there are not many conservative intellectuals. Right. He said there, there aren't many intellectuals. I think he, he also said that with regard to President Trump. You know, President Trump is doing all these great conservative things, but he's not a great thinker. You know, he's not writing these manifestos. I, I think that's perfectly fine. I have a pretty dim view of intellectuals, as did Sir Roger, by the way. You know, he, he had one of the great quotes to define conservatism. He said, conservatives want to conserve things. You know, it's not very complicated. We want to conserve things. And so... Right in the definition. It's right in the definition. And, you know, President Trump is a great example. When, when he came onto this political scene in 2016, a lot of people said, I don't know, he's got all these contradictory statements from his past. He's not, no political experience. This is a big gamble. He donated to Democrats. You know, it's a big gamble. A lot of, all of those people, I think, have been so pleasantly surprised, right? President Trump has been the most conservative president we've had 
certainly in my lifetime, I mean, maybe since Calvin Coolidge. And so when you look at that, you say, huh, Trump shouldn't have worked. It sh- it, in our theories, in our minds, he yes. But in reality, he did. And I think one of the great conservative insights is who cares if something works in theory, if it works in practice, while the left says the opposite. The left always says, who cares if it works in practice? Does it work in our theories? Prioritize theory over practice, right? Well, on the deeper level, uh, I understand you like Viktor Frankl's book, uh, Search for Meaning, A Man's Search for Meaning. So what, what is your favorite insight from that? book? Well, it's a very simple line, and it's in the title. Victor Frankl says, he actually doesn't get to the line until the second half of the book, but he says, man... So you're saving us the trouble of uh, rereading it, right? A spoiler alert. We, and we did it on the book club, so you can watch the episode. Uh, he said, man's search for meaning is his primary motivation in life. It's not a sort of secondary effect of other theories. And what this does is explodes more popular, and you would say leftist, psychological insights. You know, Freud said that man's primary motivator is sex. Adler said man's primary motivator is his will to power. And Viktor Frankl says no, it's meaning, right? It's He called his technique logotherapy, like the logos, you know, the reason, the logic of the universe. The word. The word, the word made flesh, right? And he said that is what motivates us and it, it really grounds us because if sex is our primary desire uh, motivator then god help us you know, it's a pretty chaotic culture yeah, very chaotic and if the, the will to power is our primary motivator then we can never have a discussion we can never have communication we can't have reasoned argument it's oh so that's why the left wants to silence everybody yes i mean i, th- I really think it is because they they can't have discussion because they don't believe in discussion they don't believe in uh, reason as an ob- as an objective fact it's just all a bunch of people's interests batting up against each other and then you get man's search for meaning, which says, no, 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 there is objective reality. We can communicate with one another. There is truth. And it is th- that meaning that is real, that that uh, we can add to our lives, that we can guide our lives by. That is what's going to motivate us. And that's, that's the only way we can have a coherent society. So I have a speed round for you, if you're willing. Here we go. Okay, so I'm going to say a phrase, and you give me your immediate reaction. Science is real. Gender theory. Uh, The Latin word fetus means... Offspring. How many genders? Two. (laughs) Kofevi. I couldn't possibly explain. If you don't know, I couldn't possibly explain it to you. And my final question for you is, what is your favorite martini? I love my martini. Boodles, gin, dry, a little bit dirty, blue cheese, stuffed olives. Thank you so much for joining us at CPAC. And uh, just tell us quickly where people can find you, Daily Wire and any place else that, that you want people to follow you on. Yes, well, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Michael J. Knowles. And I have actually threw up a website at michaeljknowles.com where you can click through to all the different podcasts. And uh, I would highly encourage people to listen to every single one of them. <laughs> well, I think that is great. And I'm a book nerd, bookworm myself. So I love you know any effort to kind of bring that back. I think people are hungry for it. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Gail Trotter Show right in D.C. Be sure to sign up for her mailing list on her website, gailtrotter.com. And also follow her on Twitter, at Gail Trotter, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe now, it's easy. And listen to her show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and other podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. Share the truth. Share The Gail Trotter Show. You can handle the truth.